0: This week's episode is brought to you in partnership with Zero Procure, who are here to make procurement simple. Zero Procure harnesses a network of specialists to ensure that businesses are working with the right suppliers at the right price. Hospitality Meets is delighted to partner with the Zero Procure team and their network to help keep this podcast accessible and free to listen to. Please get in touch with them for a chat, just click on their link in the show notes, or visit their site at zeroprocure.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Travis T-Bone Talbot, hospitality legend, industry disruptor and goodwill rock star. Coming up on today's show... Travis gives us a hot
1: tip. If you have clean, pressed, pleated whites on, your chef whites and a clipboard, you can walk in anywhere.
0: Phil speaks the truth... If bartenders are going out together, be afraid. And Travis demonstrates that it really pays to know where the money is going.
1: And then I thought we were going to the racetrack to gamble. We bought a horse.
0: All that and so much more as Travis talks us through his epic story and journey to date. Travis is a wonderfully colourful individual and he really brought the fun and energy to our chat. In amongst his brilliant story, we chat at length, and almost by accident, about staffing. He's got some great ideas around that, some of which may be new to you, but even if they aren't, it'll serve as a wonderful reminder of some of the things you can do to make a difference in your business. As always, a sneaky reminder to keep sharing the podcast as far as you can. Let's get the world talking about our amazing industry. Enjoy. A huge hospitality beats. Welcome to Travis T-Bone Talbot. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thanks for having me on. appreciate it.
0: You're very, very welcome. Now, before we get into anything, T-Bone, let's talk about (laughs) it. I have a feeling that you might like a steak, but anyway, that's... um...
1: Well, yeah, you're not too far off. So I've had a lot of nicknames, depending on where I've lived and where (laughs) I've traveled and who I've worked with. So there's many nicknames, but one that seems to have stuck since I was a kid is T-Bone. And it doesn't really have a great story behind it. My grandfather, who was a tough-as-nails cowboy, um, and we used to spend all of our summers you know, with him chasing the rodeos, we would get together at the campfire at the end of every rodeo, and all the cowboys would come over, and all the families would be there. And you know, you'd have a fire, and you'd have you know the roast going and stuff, and there'd be some cocktails flowing. And then um, my grandfather always thought it was fair game. To pick on me as the city kid, um, who had very bad teeth at the time, and so he right. used to joke all the time. He's like, "Hey, look at my grandson, Travis T-bone." People were like, "What do you call him T-bone for?" The age of eight. It's like, "Because that kid can eat a T-bone steak off of both sides at the same time." <laughs> because of the gap in my teeth. I, was oh. like, I think I think nowadays they call it child abuse. But uh, I was going to yeah. say
0: that I, I think back then abuse was a, a term of endearment, wasn't it?
1: Well, that was his way of showing affection. At least I was getting attention. He used to say. <laughs> right? Yeah. So.
0: My God, I—I was—I ex- don't know what I had in mind, but I just—I—I th- I thought that you maybe had won an eating competition with T-bone steaks or something when you were age fifteen. Or, I've know.
1: done I've done many of those, but I never garnered the name because of it. No, it has to do with my my uh, hilarious quote unquote grandfather and uh, <laughs> and and a set of very bad teeth. I think right after that, my mom sent me to the dentist for uh, years of years of braces. So
0: <laughs> great stuff. Well, that's a great scene setter, I have to say. <laughs> um, so just tell everyone what what is it that you do.
1: That's actually a good question. And it's funny, I have to this day, people I've known for 20 or 30 years and actually, you know, they're following my social media like, what do you do? <laughs> right? So it's a bit of a mystery. A you travel it, yeah. a lot.
0: I know that for well, a fact.
1: In, in short, nowadays is um, I have a small, my brother and I have a small consulting group. When I say group, we just um, means we have multiple different services and different brands and we do different things. But uh, at the end of the day, um, we are consultants and coaches for food and beverage and hospitality. And we kind of specialize right now, or last for the last couple of years, we've been specializing in resort environments. So ski resorts, beach right. resorts, beach hotels, spas, that kind of stuff. But we usually focus our energies on the hospitality, the guest experience, and then obviously a lot to do with food and beverage.
0: Yeah. Do you know what? I think you've just given me what my calling in life is. I need to Did specialize I... in resorts for sure. There's...
1: Well, and it's funny, we um, we landed there by no great strategy. We landed there by the fact that we just saw a need. And so we used to consult to all sorts of hospitality ventures, everything from hotels to caterers. We used to design food trucks. Um, we did a lot of mom, pop independent operator, um, restaurant consulting and stuff. And then we landed into a few resort projects and then just saw such a huge, almost... My brother refers to it as the Vegas paradigm. remember when Vegas 20 years ago, the only reason, maybe a little bit further back, but the only reason you went to Vegas was for debauchery. You went to gamble and you went to party your face off and you went to blackout for four days, so to speak. And yeah. then the the marketplace changed and Vegas came to the realization like, hey, we need to offer great food and beverage. We need to offer entertainment. We need to be accessible and approachable to families and to different demographics Well, in in the resort world, they're kind of going through a similar paradigm shift where it used to be where all you needed was great ski conditions or, you know, a couple of waves on the beach with some Mai Tais and people were happy. Well, nowadays it's becoming so much more where these resorts are becoming theme parks almost, or they're becoming attractions and the guests are looking for the full Monty, like the whole package. They want to see exceptional food and beverage. They want to see a level of service above and beyond. They want to be entertained. So we just happened to be in the right place at the right time and said, hey, like there's a, there's a big shift going on in this particular industry. We should support it. Right. Right.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think that uh, guests generally, and I say this as an avid guest myself, are, are looking for experience, right? I mean, that's the, 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 the main driver of anything. And whether that yes. experience is sat on a lounger looking out to sea or, you know, going Powder Eight down the Alps in, yep. in Europe or wherever, you know, I, I was trying to make it sound like I knew what I was talking about there. I don't ski. So <laughs>
1: that's okay. But,
0: yeah, it, 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 it's the experience element that I think is the thing that takes you away from your life, which gives you the opportunity to, I don't know, reset and, and recharge yes. and rethink your own life strategies and all of these sorts of things. And it's such an important part of people's lives
1: yeah and to feel good about yourself i think one of the um the deliverables that resorts provide to people is they just feel great about themselves they feel great about life they are they're out being energetic but as part of that experience that you're talking about it used to be that the lounger on the beach was the experience or you know having really great groomed runs with great snow conditions that was the experience where now that customer journey is so much more elaborate and there's so much more expectations through that whole journey from start to finish, from the minute we get on the website to book with the resort and, you know, secure our lodging to reservations in the restaurants, to what food and beverage, especially if you're there at any resort for more than, let's say, four days. People need diversity in offerings. They need diversity in products. Like they, they want to experience more than just a set. Hey, hey every day we're going to have a buffet and every day we're going to have the barbecue yeah. at five. Like so So experience is become, food and beverage and hospitality has become much more a part of the experience rather than just the setting itself, right?
0: Yeah, totally. Couldn't agree more. And I know that for because I've just come back from a trip to Mauritius. So um, oh, nice. and we had seven restaurants in our, our resort. And it for, for me, certainly as a foodie, that's massively important to me that I can have, if I've gone to a place to just escape and unwind, I can, as you say, I'm not just going to have my head in the buffet every night It's right. Where are we going tonight? What are we doing? And, you know, and this place had a fine dining restaurant. It had uh, a relaxed barbecue on the beach. It had a, you know, an Asian restaurant that had a teppanyaki table and all of these sorts of things where actually I get my experience from what food are we eating next? That's basically, um, and you know, I'm not, I can't be alone in that regard. Yes.
1: Well, no, absolutely not. And actually with the internet these days is we're finding, and the research supports it is that when people are choosing a resort, the food and beverage and the lodging can be a big part of the decision-making process. So yeah. if they're comparing resort a versus resort B, some of the deciding factors are going to be, Oh, look at this resort. They got way more in terms of food offerings or, Hey, there's a great, they have a cool lounge and they have like, it's all about that entertainment is some of the language that's being used nowadays. Entertainment. Like the, the other language or the other buzzword I've heard recently, which I quite like is vibe dining. So you know, what's the vibe and what's the atmosphere, because that's part of what I'm expecting in terms of experience. But yeah, if you don't have those things, you're losing out these days, which once again comes to that paradigm shift I'm talking about, where resorts are like, hey, we really got to elevate our game in the food and beverage and in the experience in terms of what you're experiencing in the restaurants, um, the entertainment value, Um, and people are making decisions saying, oh, we're not, we're going to go to resort B over resort A, because once we're done the beach, once we're done doing, you know, a day on the hills, now what? Now we need to entertain ourselves and we know we're going to eat something. So we want that to be an exceptional part of it you know, and a significant part of the experience, right?
0: Yeah, 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 totally. So you're, you travel a, a lot for your role. Just uh, tell us where you are today.
1: <laughs> so this week <laughs> I'm in Nicaragua, San Juan uh, del Sur. Um, and I've just gotten back. I was in a uh, tour around Michigan. I was in Vancouver, British Columbia recently, and I just spent literally 10 months traveling all around uh, Mexico, living in in different cities for a month, to two months at a time, just diving into local cuisine and authentic um, Latin American cuisine. Right.
0: Right. Well, I can tell you that uh, wherever you are in Nicaragua, it has one of the best internet connections that I think I've ever had on the show. Oh, you've been, yeah you've been crystal clear all the way through and um your 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 face is right in front of me at the moment without any blips and i probably li- will live to regret seeing all of that but uh but yeah for now at least you've got you've got good internet well, where
1: you are we uh knock on wood because the internet and the power here are intermittent you never know what you're gonna get when you wake up right <laughs> so that was me that's
0: me knocking on wood
1: yeah. And it's funny here in town, like um, this this particular community, it's a big surf or small surfing community, but it's big with, um, I see a lot of remote workers. I see a lot of kids with the backpacks and laptops everywhere. And you can literally see them running from one cafe to the next with their laptops in their hands, looking for the Internet. Right? So, <laughs> so we've lucked out today, I'll tell you.
0: Fantastic. Right. I'm saying no more. We'll leave it there for sure. Great, well, I mean, let's get to it because um, 10 minutes have gone already and we haven't even gone anywhere near your story yet. Um, So let's let's go all the way back to the beginning. After you'd gotten your teeth sorted, (laughs) how did you get into hospitality in the first place?
1: Well, my grandfather, once again, same guy, he likes to say he started my hospitality career because during all those rodeos and all those campfire sessions, I was the bartender at the age of six, right? Six to eight. So he likes to say he started my career off but then, really, um, we worked from. I ended up working as a, a dishwasher. I wouldn't even say working. I wasn't paid for it. It was life experiences, as it was framed by back then by my mom. <laughs> I think nowadays it's called child labor. Um, yeah. I had the same. By but... the way,
0: I had the same.
1: Parents are you, the greatest you know,
0: employers, aren't they?
1: Oh yeah. The greatest non-paying employers, (laughs) but uh, my mom always worked in hospitality. My grandmother worked in hospitality. You know, my grandmother was in diners and my mom was a restaurant manager. So I started out the minute that she felt I was quote unquote mature enough, washing dishes, working in the dish pits, stocking shelves, mopping floors, graduating to busing, and then eventually moving up to waitering. And then I've gone I like to say that one of my claims to fame is, other than accounting, which there's always a bean counter somewhere, so I never really had to worry too much about that, but uh, other than accounting, I have worked, I think, in almost every single sector, in almost every single role in hospitality, right? Right. Maybe not a flight attendant, but uh, I've worked on the cruise ships, which is similar to being a flight attendant. But uh, yeah, so I've, through the course of the years- Big up to
0: the cruise ships.
1: (laughs) Yes, That's that's how
0: I started my career as well. Oh, Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I dropped when I dropped out of high school, or kick got kicked out, is whatever way you want to look at it. Is um, I went and worked on the cruise ships, and that was like right. really my first introduction to hospitality, a dynamic hospitality environment, right? And that's where yeah. you know, I kind of caught the travel bug.
0: Is is there really any better start in a career than working on a cruise ship? Like for a young person, I um, well, I spent it, five it, years it, on the ships, and it was—I I mean, I can't imagine having had a better job, to be honest
1: it was I, you know what I, I had a great experience. Some of the guys that I worked with and toured with, they didn't have a great experience because it was a little bit different back then. It was like you lived below deck, you never saw daylight. the working conditions weren't necessarily regulated. but like any environment, if you you know if you figure out the the scenario and you find the angles, I, I had a great experience. So we went on we were below deck staff and then quickly I got into social staff, right? So I was doing embarkation, debarkation. You were I, out. I was allowed, I was. say I was meant to be with the guests and, and you know, in, engaging with them Were a lot of roles you weren't supposed to engage with the, you know, the customers or the passengers. And uh, I had a great time. I was like, you know, I was the Julie McCoy. I was doing horse racing and water volleyball and square dancing. And, and then, you know, you'd be a part of the excursions going to town. So from that perspective, it was Amazing. In terms of life experiences, you know, especially at a younger age, what you get exposed to, the travel, and then just seeing an unbelievably complex and fine-tuned hospitality machine, yeah. like the produ- the production, as you know, that happens on those ships, it's it's military brigade efficient, right?
0: It's unbelievable. I mean, I I remember I will never ever forget my first day uh, when I, I'm I originally started in the front of house sort of reception and the passenger facing. Yep. roles and then I always wanted to move into to food and beverage at some point and I got that wish about 2 years in and the first time that I was put on galley service in in the galley and here we are we've got uh, a central galley with a restaurant either side serving 400 people there 400 people there yeah. serving four, different meals yeah and uh, yeah to fully a la carte and and uh, doing it all in 45 minutes uh, you yeah. know I I was like what What have I just walked into? This is, it's unbelievable.
1: So I would say out of all the experiences I've had, like working in hotels, restaurants, QSRs, chains, the cruise ships was the place where you saw efficiency in food and beverage and in hospitality and and, and also hospitality done right. Like when you have somebody, you know, when you have an audience that's not only captive, they're somewhat locked in. You got to really put on, put on the production and put on the show yeah. to entertain them. For and they're also there expecting to be entertained and you to lead the way on everything. So, yeah, the cruise ships was a good experience for sure.
0: Yeah, it's a great training ground for life.
1: Yes. So I went from cruise ships to back into the restaurant scene, bartending, bouncing, managing operations, marketing. Worked in, like I said, in the hotels, in catering gigs. And then uh, eventually I I landed with just an amazing individual, one of my lifetime mentors, where I was in Vancouver. And I went to apply for a job at one of the the nightclubs, which they used to coin themselves as the Studio 54 of Canada. And the guy that owned it was just an entrepreneur extraordinaire. And he took me under his wing. And when I started with him, I was doing bottle counts and I was doing inventory and I was setting the bars up for the nighttime shifts and that Within five years, I'd gone with him where he had two or one nightclub and two small pubs. To by the time I left, and I was the vice president of operations at 25, I was overseeing 26 venues. Right?
0: Jeez, at 25,
1: it was unbelievable, and it was great. It's I I, I had so many lessons that I learned from um, from Roger, but one of the things that uh, he kind of imparted was, hey, there's a career here. Like, don't just look at this as a stepping stone or a a filler. There's a career in hospitality, and it can be a lucrative career for entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. So So he took me under his wing. He basically said to me, I will pay for any education you want you can use all the resources of our organization. So the access to the liquor reps and to all of the suppliers and vendors who back in the day were just couldn't give you enough in terms of, Hey, we want your business, but we'll, you know, what can we give you, you know, to entice you to kind of come on board. So I got to go all over the world, taking classes everywhere from, San Francisco taking wine classes with the Mondavi organization to being living in Zudomir for a couple of months um, and learning about the history of bowls, liqueurs to, you know, seeing all the culinary events all around the world. So I got paid next to nothing for the role. And he always said that he goes, don't ever ask me for a raise ever. <laughs> so I never did nice. in the 10 years, the 10 years I worked for him, I never got a raise, but I was living the life of Riley in terms of I had access To everything you could ever imagine. So you want to go to the Super Bowl? No problem. I can get us tickets. You want to sit center ice for the NHL playoffs? I can get us tickets. You want to go take a culinary course that's put on by Thomas Keller? I can get us access. So... He used used to say to me, "Was you're going to live on fifty grand a year for the next ten years, but you're going to live the lifestyle of a two hundred thousand dollar a year stockbroker?" Was his line, right? So,
0: right. Well, that's a good line, though, right? I mean, and (laughs) uh, especially at that age that you were at as well. But I think that's all. It's also the interesting thing for me there is the fact that once you've kind of gotten your head around that, I suppose it then doesn't become about chasing the money. It becomes about gaining the experience and all of these amazing things that you're getting put in front of that you you'll take yes. something from and take and take forward with you
1: well there there was a bunch of aspects in terms of how that was such an enriching time in my life it was one I, I did have a mentor somebody who actually said i'm going to tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong i'm going to give you some hard love but i'm also going to share insights and stuff so you don't see that very often anymore you don't see yeah operators mentoring their managers or bringing somebody on board and saying, okay, I'm behind you and I'm going to, I'm going to I'm going to develop you. Right. And you're going to develop yourself and I'm going to be there for the journey. So that was part of it. Having access to life, I call it. So being able to do all those sporting events to be, you know, we had a bunch of live um, entertainment uh, venues, which at the time was Molson rocks was our partner, which then became house of blues, which then became live nation. Right. So I was working venues with those guys and doing outdoor concerts. And we would have all those artists come in and all those entertainers come into wow. our venues. So we got to meet them all, we got to sit down and, and, and give dinners to celebrities like Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky,
0: Barry oh Bonds.
1: Like, so yeah. the, the, ex- the amount of exposure that you, I got to just all the things that are out there in the world in terms of life experiences, it was just all at my fingertips, which was great. I never, I never abused it because that was part of the mentoring. And then uh, the education. I've, I don't know of an organization these days that is willing to put that level of investment into, into individuals. So he literally, like Roger said, I don't care what you take. I don't care if you take an accounting course, which I never did. I don't care if you take... <laughs> culinary courses. I don't care if you go and take a PR course, whatever is out there. He says, go and take it and I will support it and I will fund it. And then he says, cause all of it's going to make you grow as an individual and you become more dynamic as, as my operations guy. And the more dynamic you are, the better you have an asset you are to our organization and to the business. So yeah. it was just such a rare, it was a rare opportunity in life. And I'm glad that I got to experience it And And it was, the takeaways were you know incredible.
0: Yeah. and then and maybe then we'll talk about a rise <laughs> you've it, once nope. you've done all of these things no well
1: it's it's funny with the day that I actually knew I was resigning because I was you know I'd, I'd kind of done my stint there and um, the organization was changing a little bit and he was getting a little bit older and I just decided hey I think it's time for me to break free and do my own venues probably was not ready for it um, but I, I, I prefaced the conversations I was so nervous about going in to have that discussion saying I'm leaving when I had the world's best gig. And I preface it with Roger. I think I deserve a raise. And right away he's like, okay, well, I think it's time for you to leave. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, that was, that was the segue to the conversation. I'm like, no, no, no. I think I want to go out and do my own projects now. And I want to, I want, I kind of want to just be creative within my own, um, parameters as opposed to, you know, the rules of the organization. And he was, he was fully supportive. He helped me open up my first nightclub and helped me with all the stuff I didn't know, like the back of the house, the legal agreements, the licensing issues and stuff. So right. um, he was, he, he was great to me, even when I'd, I decided that I was going to leave the organization.
0: Right. I suppose it's one of those things as well. It's, a, it's all of the stuff that unless you're in it, you take, you completely take for granted that that's part of running a business, right? Is the, is the yeah. things that nobody ever wants to talk about like compliance and, Food safety and you know all of that, but yeah, without it, you don't have a business.
1: Well, and then one of the things that I learned the hard way, which he didn't, um, you know, it wasn't his place, or I wouldn't say it wasn't his place, but I never went to him and asked for it and he didn't volunteer it, was the partnership. That was the biggest thing I learned. Compliance, I knew a little bit about because, especially in Canada, it's in your face all the time. It's not just a rare occasion. Food safety, we, once again, I came up in an organization where that was a priority. His whole deal was, listen, I never want to go home thinking I made somebody sick through my business so that was kind of his ethos, and then also there there was the monetary side he goes it's expensive to get it wrong (laughs) right well yeah but
0: yeah totally and I think the 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 thing is as well it sounds to me like you look out or you don't right with the mentor that you get at whatever you're especially at that impressionable age that you're at where you want to learn and you you know you want to move forward and all of these things but it sounds to me like you had a guy who really got it like oh yeah you know who wasn't Yes, of course you have to make money, but it wasn't, again, not chasing the money. Let's make sure that we do everything else well and the money will take care of itself.
1: Yeah. and Well, he always used to say it's a long game, right? Quit sprinting and start doing getting involved in the marathon. It's an endurance game. And anyone who's worked in hospitality long enough, it is an endurance game, right? No like, doubt you would definitely have your sprints with high seasons, low seasons and events and so forth, but it's a marathon (laughs) journey, you know? And and I mean that from the physical sense to the emotional and spiritual sense. And, and and he was, he he was good at, uh, tempering, you know, um, learning, learning for me to temper that kind of mentality. Right.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really good point as well, because I think there's an awful lot, especially post-pandemic as well, certainly in this part of the world, I, I don't know what it's like with what you, you see in your spaces, but maybe we'll talk about that, is that a lot of people have just gone straight into sprint. There's no marathon now. It's yes. it's, it's what's front and centre right now are the things that we have to deal with. And it's just all of the... the I kind of understand that, but it's 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 also quite annoying because there's an opportunity with playing the long game to solve problems. But if you're always pushing... The can or kicking the can down the road when it comes to the major problems, then you're never solving any major problems and um and we see that absolutely fundamentally right now in the u k with staffing um yes. it's uh, and actually on my holiday in Mauritius now I just had a chat with the general manager of the hotel it's the same problem there, but you know everybody wanted to get back to being busy right that was that was- pr- probably priority number one, but ultimately at some point we've got to get back to thinking long term about Uh, about your business and the industry?
1: Well, Phil, and I think you've touched on something that we see in our travels, especially with most of the clients or prospective clients that we engage with, is the very first step, I think, in any business, whether it's hospitality or you've got a dog grooming business or anything, is you got to have a plan. And the plan changes, of course. Like Nobody could ever have planned for the pandemic, but... You had to pivot. You had to be agile. And how does that change or how does that new circumstance, how does that change your plan? And you have to go back to the plan. But we don't see, even like when you talk about um, recruiting, I know that there's, you know, there's this prevailing thought out there that the talent pool has disappeared. It's shallowed out and there's not there is nothing to choose from anymore. All the ponds have dried up where I've seen so many operators in so many different markets that haven't experienced that problem. And it's because they had a strategy for for talent recruitment. They had a strategy for retaining the people that they had on board. They had a plan when it came to HR and to talent, talent management, where I would say conservatively, 95% of the people that we work with don't have a plan period for the business and then right. they definitely don't have one when it comes to hey how are we going to attract talent how are we going to be the employer of choice how are we going to make recruitment and retention which is just as important as recruitment how are we going to make that part of our daily operations and i think i just posted yesterday on linkedin and i got some pretty mean reviews is <laughs> well that means is,
0: that you're saying the right things then probably well, I, and,
1: and i'm not looking to offend i'm just making some observations from real world experiences like there are some operators throughout. Um, BC British Columbia Canada they've never ever had a problem with staffing and uh, these organizations it's because their marketing is their people right so they put all of their efforts and investment into people development talking about not talking about the culture having a culture as opposed to talking about a culture and sharing that culture through their social media like saying, hey, here's Phil, and here he's just got promoted, and we had a party for him, and congratulations, Phil. Like legitimately authentic culture. And they have people knocking on their doors all the time saying, can we come work for you? So yeah. I believe that there was a bit of a mass exodus. Um, you know, people moved out of, you know, culinary, especially back of the house. They lost a lot of people. But I think that came back to culture. But then, like I said, I see so many employers out there that don't have those issues so I, yeah. I think and i'd be curious to you know like when you were saying you're talking to the um the general manager of the hotel my next question would have been okay hey how are you doing for staffing and usually the universal response is hey we're struggling it's it's tough out there or it's expensive to get talent where my next question is okay so now what what's the strategy now that you've stated the problem where's the solution right yeah what's the strategy and usually the conversation goes silent at that at that mark Right. Yeah,
0: I, I might have asked him that if I wasn't on holiday. I didn't want to be with him for longer than about an hour. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair
1: enough. Yeah. yeah, you weren't there to counsel and coach, right?
0: <laughs> no, no, it's um, but um, no, but I, I, you know, I, I think what what you say is absolutely bang on. Is that there's a lot of time that that people just accept the problem, but don't actually okay. Well, that's not working then. So what what do we need to change? What has to? What's the yeah. plan now? um when this avenue hasn't worked out for us
1: well and and i th- you know you see so much of that where the operators are like we're short three back of house staff we're short five front of house staff and i'm like okay well let's have a look at what you're doing and they're like well we posted on indeed and then and then you go and look at the language and it's 1990s hr language like must be yeah. able to lift 50 pounds i'm like man who's who's coming for that gig right yeah. and like, like not everyone's on indeed like where where is where are your people where are your discussions about how great employer you are and the benefits? And when I say benefits, I don't just mean the monetary benefits, but where, where's the upside to coming to work with you? So is there education? Is there mentorship? Is there a great compensation package, which is different from other people's packages in the marketplace? Are, am I going to learn working for you guys? Remember back in the old days, which is now illegal, is remember you used to stage? You know, there was a yeah. the whole thing. I, hey, yeah. I want to work. I want to go work for Phil because I want to work under him and I want to learn from him and I want to have his name on my resume. And I'll Said work. So nobody free- ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'll and I'll live in the broom broom closet for three months to do that. But yeah. uh, that doesn't happen nowadays. You can't you can't do that from for different reasons or various reasons, mostly related to labor laws. But but still, there's people that still want like if Thomas Keller had a program where I could apply to get in to work as a dishwasher, I'd apply today right? Just because of his organization and what he means to the industry. So I I always say to people, what's your, you know, you talk about it in business, there's a unique prop or unique selling propositions or what's your your distinctive offerings. Well, where's everyone's unique propositions when it comes to culture and it comes to um, the working environment or it comes to the benefits that you're going to get, the rewards you're going to get if you come and work for us. You just yeah. don't see it. They just think that posting online and posting on Facebook is going gonna, is gonna to acquire talent. It doesn't, right? No,
0: no, no, indeed. And I, actually, the point you make about marketing, I mean, that is basically what we're talking about here is marketing yeah, is, you're is, right. is yeah. you know, and if you're if you're writing job adverts in your language is, as you said, it's, it's just boring and mundane and it's just about all of the things that you need to do to be compliant job mechanics as opposed to
1: the actual job potential, right?
0: Yeah. What you need to tune into the things that get people excited about coming into work for, you know, effectively giving up their time to come and do something for somebody else. Uh, And okay. In return for some cash, but you know, it's, it's not, I mean, when we put it like that, it's not difficult it's obviously there's a there's a mechanic around trying to make sure you get the language right and all of that and it's yes. got to fit your business and all of these sorts of things but the solution is there it's just a question of being uh, i suppose brave and and giving something new a go if it's not working properly for you yes
1: right, great, great you got you got to be agile and you got to do like if you want to use you know coders language like you got to look at the user experience you got to look at you know talking to people in the your target audience you can't be looking for 22 to 25 year old staff if you're talking like a boomer right (laughs) yeah um there's a, a lot to it and it's an investment it's an investment of time there's an investment of capital and it's also a process and it's a process that doesn't stop where i find so many employers look at recruitment as an event It's like oh we just lost phil so put out the ad let's go through the exercises and we need a new executive chef in three weeks well that process once again that i learned from roger is we're always open we're always hiring right and so like it's a process and we used to invest in it all the time like i know that One of the venues that we um, were a part of that had a high turnover rate because it was next to a stadium, so it it would burn people out just because of all the events in the year. But it was like every Thursday, one of the managers had to dedicate their day from 1 p.m. until 5 p.m. just to sit at a table for people that wanted to come in and interview for a job, right? Right. So some days you'd have 30 people, many days you'd have no people. And the strategy was, hey, listen, we're always hiring because we're always going to need good people. And you can always put their, their um, resume on file so that when you do have an opening, you just call them as opposed to now we have an opening and now we're going to yeah. have this eight, eight week process where we're going to have a gap in our operations. Right. Mm-hmm. So and then the other thing that I learned from Roger was every single person that applies is a potential guest. So when you think about yeah, how much well, money, yeah totally when you, think, when you think about how much money some people organizations put into marketing their brand and not necessarily employer brand marketing or talent recruitment marketing, it's like, well, what if we took a portion of that and, and we just constantly invested it into recruitment right and yeah. so one of the things that we used to do um, whenever somebody came in for an interview, we would always offer them hey do you want an appetizer while you're waiting or while we're having this discussion so roger would think hey the cost of an appetizer is a dollar 50 the cost to get somebody to come in the door is significant so why don't we treat them like a guest and then that person now has become an ambassador whether they get the job or don't get the job and we used to see it all the time we used to see people that it was always awkward you'd see people coming in on a friday saturday night that you actually had turned down <laughs> and you didn't hire them but they'd become they'd become guests right yeah
0: yeah 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 so, i there's a, a company that i uh i work with uh here on a recruitment front who do something similar they if they have a you know they're applying for roles with the company and you don't get it but they meet, they keep in contact with people and they'll often do a cocktail party where they'll just yes. invite people who've come through the door who didn't quite get a role or there just wasn't the right space at that point in time just to you know say we're still thinking about you and you know and yeah. And it's worth its weight in gold because then that person leaves that cocktail party and and goes, you know, they go into shift the next day and the person says, where were you last night? I was at a cocktail party from that company I didn't get a job with.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know what? The other thing is crazy is whenever we're going into a project, one of the very first questions I always ask a a prospective client is, what business do you think you're in? And they're always like, "Well, well, I'm in the resort business. I'm in the hotel business. I'm in food and beverage you used to hear the service industry, but you don't hear that anymore. Um, I'm in a restaurant business. And I'm like, no, man, all of those fall under one umbrella. You're in the hospitality industry. Some of those are transactional products. Some of those are elements of your business. But at the end of the day, you're in hospitality. And hospitality needs to extend to your staff. And it also needs to extend to your candidates, right? So if somebody's coming in and they're, like you said, they're willing to invest their time. They're willing to choose you over all the other options in the marketplace, You got to you got to extend a little bit of hospitality to them, right?
0: Yeah, which shouldn't be that difficult, should it? Really, for
1: well, I got to tell you, when you and I know you read all, you're totally dialed into the HR scene. But when I read through LinkedIn and all these articles about the Great Resignation and the quitting and all these strategies um, or all these issues, is I never once see them saying, "Hey, like you need to treat candidates like human beings, and you need to make it easy for them to come work for you, and you need to make it attractive," right?
0: Yeah, it's not rocket science, is it, when you put it like that?
1: I don't think it is, but no. <laughs> I see that being, and don't get me wrong, I get it, it's challenging out there because it's it, it, the marketplace has shifted where it's an employee's market. So they're doing the diligence, they're doing the assessments of the employer, and the employers are basically interviewing with candidates, Is is my take on it. But um, yeah. so I, I know it's tough out there because it's not just open the doors and they will come, and they're lucky to work for us, which used to be the you know, prevailing mindset. Now it's like, as an employer, you need to put on, you know, at the show, you need for to sure, romance yeah. candidates and uh, make it attractive, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, I've, I've taken you massively off your story. Um, you're <laughs> uh, right. you're just about to to leave, Roger.
1: So I left Roger. I went and opened up my own nightclub with a partner who uh, was actually uh, working for the competition at the time. So we got together and aligned forces, and we opened up a, a champagne bar in the seediest part of the city because <laughs> um, it was the only lease we could figure out, and it was good to you know good to us. But it was a huge success. We we crushed it. That was the name of the place was Crush, but we had immense success. It was lineups down the street. We were exceeding our sales we were making all the magazines everything from the food and beverage publications to even like the architecture and design magazines so it was a huge success but i didn't know about partnerships and i didn't know about the legality of partnerships and right. and so it was a classic restaurant hospitality case study of hey just because you're busy doesn't mean you're successful and we had a good three to four year run and then yeah it went all sideways and everybody ended up suing everybody and it was it was an ugly ending God. to that to a right. very, which should have been a very good lucrative project um but it was good more lessons
0: learned you know, yeah
1: more lessons learned and uh yeah and it was a good experience and also, it was tough, though, because nightclubs are a tough gig, especially if you've got entertainments. You know, you're starting your day at eight in the morning and you're going home at four thirty the next day. Right. Mm. Um, and if you have back to back shows. Anyways, that, those are just the scar war stories. But uh, I did the nightclubs <laughs> and then um, I got recruited from a group out of Boston who uh, owned a bunch of venues. Uh, they, were, they were primarily landlords and they were land developers, and but they owned a number of restaurants and pubs and bars. And they were looking to consolidate those operations and treat all of those independent bars and stuff as one hospitality group. So I got recruited to move to Boston and and put that whole project together and, you know, provide some leadership and institute some strategy. And that was a huge success. And I really enjoyed my time with that family. It was a family run business and uh, enjoyed my time in Boston. And then I just went bananas I just went all over the place so I worked in a PR and marketing firm once again where I like to say hey I've done it all I went to work for a public relations firm in in Boston New York because I wanted to see when we were restaurateurs or I was working for all these organizations what are we paying for <laughs> like, yeah, So well, we have we, we have a PR person we have an agency that's doing our creative and our marketing and our strategy I want to know what's behind the curtain I want to know how those places operate and what the mechanics are so I joined one I applied for a PR firm, got the job, and ended up working there for three or four years to learn, you know, to learn the secret sauce, and then uh, back on the road again. And so, and then where did I end up? I oh, geez, so many different places I've worked in so many different capacities. But then I ended up. I wanted to do the corporate world. I wanted to see what corporate hospitality was like in terms of being more at the C-suite level or the director's level, as opposed to just being a frontline, uh, you know, frontline leadership. So I ended up working for a casino group in Canada that when I started with them, they had four, four or five properties. They had a couple of what we called hot dog stands. So the food and beverage was just calories. It wasn't really food and beverage. It was just something to right. feed people. So they stay on the machines. And then when I left that company five years later, they had 36 casinos and over 125 restaurants and they were legit restaurants. So that was a, another life experience, like the seeing the math, the psychology um, of the casino world, right? And then just growth, growth, growth. What it's like to work for an organization where their whole initiative is we're going to grow. And then also, and also elevating the brands. Like I said, we went from... We went from hot dog stands to coming up with some award-winning steakhouses to coming up with very innovative, you know, Asian fusion concepts, um, you know, changing the whole in-room dining program. So it was, it was a really good opportunity to get creative, um, which is one nice thing about working with casinos is you can be as creative as you want because there's resources there to support it.
0: I was going to say there's, there's a one or two bucks in the casino trade.
1: Yeah. And, and the nice thing about that organization, or not that, that organization, that world is the cost of goods isn't always a huge issue, <laughs> right? Yeah. The whole idea idea is the intention is experience. So if you can get them into the restaurants and start their experience before they go to the casino, there's a lot of math as to how favorably that works out, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you're just driving top line and there's, there's old no school of thought. If you drive the top line hard enough, it'll, it'll hide all the sins on the bottom line. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so that was good. And then, um, just prior to COVID, I decided to leave the casino company and decided to go out and do consulting and coaching. Cause when I was working with the PR firm, I really felt that that was a lot of what we did with clients was kind of just educate them, empower them, coach them through processes, um, and so I thought, hey, you know what, I think that that'd be something I'd like to do. So made the most arrogant mistake of leaving the casinos, opening up a small business, and then had like 10 employees right off the bat. And,
0: God, and then COVID. Yeah,
1: and then, well, So one is I had 10 employees. I had a business plan, but part the business plan didn't talk about personnel management, right? And a lot of the guys that I brought on board were all my equals and counterparts and colleagues in the industry. So they were pretty much on par with their skill sets or their backgrounds, or we were very close friends, or we'd all work together, whether it was as competitors or in the same environment. Put 10 guys that all think that they're the chief in the same room, (laughs) right? So I ended up having to become an HR business where I was managing people more than we were managing projects and and we weren't delivering to our clients. And so we had to make some shifts there. And then once we got that all sorted out and then we had this great book of business, we had our pitches down, we were signing some really high profile clients that really wanted to make change, you know, industry leaders and, you know, forward thinking kind of organizations and then COVID, right? And then we went from hero to zero in a couple of weeks. <laughs> right. So, yeah,
0: well, that, it, there's it, a, that. there's now there's two times that exist, isn't there? There's BC and AC before yeah. and after um, that sounds yeah. like a band actually, but uh, anyway, you're
1: close. You're close. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Big fan of them actually. Yeah. But it's uh, so how did you manage? Cause I'm a, I'm a business owner myself. So it, it, you know, there's a, the podcast was actually a, a byproduct of that time. Um, right. Really, f- for for me, it was uh, it was something I was always going to do anyway, but um, it just helped get it off the ground quicker, perhaps, because right. at that point in time we had no business, nothing at all, and so it was a case of this gave gave me a focal point. But how did you manage that at uh, at that point?
1: Well, it was, obviously it was disheartening when all of a sudden your brand new business, you know, is now all of a sudden no longer, like it's a non-entity. Yeah. And, and we didn't know when we were talking to our clients, like they're like, we don't know, like nobody knew, nobody knew. So it was like, how long is this going to be? And and then, you know, eventually the resources and the funds ran out. So you had to lay the people that did stick with me. We had to lay them off, including my brother. His wife was pretty happy about that. Oof, um, yeah. <laughs> so it was tough, but then. You know, if you've got to find that silver lining in every storm is it gave me an opportunity to kind of just OK, I always complain that I never have enough time to, to put together these other ventures that I want to work on. I I never always complain that I don't, I don't have enough time where I want to revamp our websites and I want to revamp our services and offerings for our clients. And so for me, it was an opportunity to it was humbling for one. Right, like it definitely knocked the uh, the the wind out of the arrogant sails, and then and then it was a time to take inventory and a time to take stock and to say, okay, what do we want to do? What are we good at? What do we find? you know, our passion to be like, what part of our businesses do we really feel passionate about? And where do we think we're really actually giving value? Because we had a whole menu of we can do this for you, we can do that for you. And I was just like, are we really good at that? Or are we really offering value to our clients? Or is that something that they are looking for? Or are we just giving this massive a la carte menu that doesn't necessarily have impact? So it was an opportunity for us to reset and re-strategize. And then one of the things that we did was we took, That huge menu of offerings whittled it down to things that we both felt that we were good at and that would have the most impact for our clients, so doing less better. Right. And then we broke it up into four divisions. So rather than one huge consulting group, we broke it into four different groups. And so for a client, they can say, you know what? I definitely want the coaching, but I'm not interested in the eco intelligence. Uh, Whereas before we used to sell it all as one offering. And sometimes that was just too much for people to digest or they felt they're like, well, you're kind of the jack of all trades and master of none. And it's like, well, it all is hospitality and it's all consulting. But we, we just rebranded it, we repackaged it. And so now we have four different brands and it ranges from everything from something as simple as just uh, menu development and menu evolution and to some brand identity and articulation to we have a team that includes designers and architects and engineers and kitchen engineers where we can do from start to finish an entire f program if it's a resort or if you're looking to do as to a one-off venue, we can do it all, right? From start to finish, it's a one-stop shop. And then now we're really working into the space, which, once again, we saw an opportunity in the resorts where we're focusing on coaching and consulting on stewardship. So making sure that if you if that's something that if you want to be a responsible operator and stewardship and sustainability ranks high on your list of priorities, we can come in and support you on that. Right. Right. So. A little bit bit more of a diverse package, but um, it was COVID that actually enabled us, I'm going to say, to sit down and and really think about all that stuff. And we've had some really positive responses from both our existing clients and prospects where they're like, this is much more succinct. It's much more laser driven. It has much more value to us where, you know, we come in before and say, oh, we'll do a marketing audit or we'll do a culture audit. And people are like, listen, we've got an HR department or we have an agency like if you're. Food and beverage hospitality consultants do those things. Tell us how to improve our hospitality experience. Tell us how to dial, turn the dials on our food and beverage operations. And so that's kind of where we are now. So we're we're much more specialized, I guess, as a, as a way to put that.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, I mean, it's a, it's a hell of a career so far. Yeah. I think the thing that, that I suppose I really want to understand is that we talked about uh, having a plan. Did you actually, did you have a plan in your career or was it a, a case of, you saw opportunities as they kind of were presented to you.
1: I say, you know what? I, I kind of say it's a lot of it's happenstance where I've just fallen into really good situations. And then having a bit of a, I I think I've always had good situational awareness where I'm like, oh, I just fell into this opportunity here. It's an opportunity. I need to maximize it. Mm. And one of the things I've kind of done in my career, which was part of my strategy, was I'll never say no. So if someone right. says, "Hey, Trav, you want to move to Scotland?" and there's an opportunity here for you to help this group that are growing and so forth, I'm like, "Sure," to say yes, you know. Yeah. And I can't remember. There's a quote from somebody. I I don't know it was one of those guys like an Elon Musk or a Warren Buffett or someone like that. And it was like, always say yes and figure it out later. Right.
0: Yeah. think it's so, how you make it? Isn't it? That's the, well, uh, just... uh,
1: yeah. And so I've never, that's one of the reasons I've become such a travel, a wanderluster is I've always just said yes. Anytime someone says, hey, we have an opportunity, would you be interested? All right. And that's taken me all over the globe and it's exposed me to all different facets of the industry that I probably wouldn't have known or been exposed to had I just stayed in one spot and grown roots. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah
0: it's... It's, it's a massive thing in the industry, though, isn't it? And, and, and I don't think, we give that enough credit for what that does to you as a human being to be able to see so many different places uh, uh, around the world okay. and so many uh, ways of doing things, you know, so many ways of doing the same thing. Yes. You know, it, it's, um, we definitely don't place enough emphasis on that, these sorts of things as an industry in terms of what it can bring to you as a, as, as a human being.
1: Well, and that was one of the things that I always thought was great about Roger too. He was always like, cause you know, being in hospitality, going back 10, 15 years, and we're, you know, we're all young bucks, and everybody wore that badge of honors. I put in a 100-hour work week, or I just worked four doubles back to back, and those were, you know, scar tissue that you became proud of. But so I would never take time off. And then Roger would always say, "Okay, um, I'm suspending you," was his language. "I'm suspending you," he says. "Go somewhere," and I'm like, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Go take a holiday and go see new things," because you're right. Is at the end of the day, we're just preparing food or we're just turning down, you know, turning pillows over or we're just providing, you know, this, this space for people to, to to kind of relax in. But it's amazing. So it's not a complicated product, but it's amazing how many different creative ways people are approaching it. And you only see that when you move around. Right? Yeah. And, you know, like you can see a street vendor that's preparing a taco in a different way that you'd never thought of. You yeah. see, a ho- like I was just in a hotel in Michigan. A resort hotel and in my room they they had me fill a little bit of a survey like what are your hobbies what are your likes and it was kind of an, an interesting exercise I've never done that before where they they kind of profile you a little bit they ask you to provide them with information about what you like and so I thought it was like a concierge service but it was really their approach to to everybody and then so I get back to my room there's all red wines because I'm a big red wine guy I don't really care for the whites and so they'd filled the fridge and they'd filled the cupboard with all red wines they had given me all different kinds of beef jerky, <laughs> which goes really well with red wines. <laughs> and then they'd put a record player in my room and they'd curated a dozen albums where they're like, here you go. We think these, this fits your personality and we think it fits your profile. And I'm like, wow. So there yeah. I was drinking wine at two in the morning, making notes, uh, eating beef jerky and listening to Aretha Franklin. It's like, I'll remember that experience forever, but it's, you know what, it's, but it's just a different way of approaching things and a different way of doing things. But at the end of the day, they are just still making somebody just feel welcome. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, the, it's, a i suppose, in the grand scheme of things for them, it's a small thing to do and achieve, uh, Easy, but right? actually has a massive impact on you're still talking about this now, you know, um, yeah.
1: Well, it was funny. We all got together. So there was, it was a bit of a summit. So there was 50 other people that were there that we all knew each other and we're all there for the same reasons. And then we all got together at breakfast in the morning and said, Hey, did you get a record player in your room? And everyone's like, no. Or, you know, one guy's like, yeah. And I'm like, what records did you get? And he got a completely different assortment. And I'm like, and then you guys, did you get a gift basket? And they're like, yeah. And then what was in yours? And they were all different. So it wasn't just this manufactured, piece of hospitality it was authentic and sincere and it was curated but you know what i don't think it took a whole it took some it took some intention and i definitely get that there's you know there's effort in there but it wasn't complicated i think that one or two people probably took care of 50 of us in a couple of hours in in regards to okay here's what we're going to put in this room here's what we're going to put in this room and everybody at that resort at breakfast was talking about it
0: yeah yeah, no, I know. I had a similar experience once. I had a lady on the show called Anne Golden, who's the general manager of the Pan Pacific here in London. Okay. And um, I had her on pre-opening. She was very kind enough then to uh, invite my my wife and I to the soft opening nights that they were doing to kind of you know make sure that everything was in the, the dry way. run. Yep. Yep. And uh, the room was breathtaking. But the the thing that I remember more than anything else is that they had obviously Facebook stalked us or something like that. And they'd pulled out a little picture of our dog and put the dog in a awesome. little frame awesome. just on the side of the bed. And there yeah. was a picture of uh, my wife and I on our wedding day or uh, uh, you know an anniversary trip or something like that. And that was in the room as well. And, you know, you'd walk into the room and you're just, oh, we've come to the right place. You know, yeah. it's just... It's a simple thing really, but it makes such a massive, a massive impact. Well,
1: well, to me, that's, that is the essence of hospitality, but also it's tailor-made. It's, it's actually respecting each individual guest as an individual. Right. Yeah. And once again, I know a restaurateur in um, Vancouver and they've been in business now for, I think they're coming on 24 or 25 years and they are averaging about $9 million a year. Um, so they're doing quite well. And they were doing what they would call they would call it guest research, but it's profiling. But and this is yeah. before Facebook was a huge deal. They would do it through Open Table or they would do it through the reservation platform and go and look at where those guests have been before. When when they typically go out, are they going out because it's always date night? Is it always this that the other? And they would literally say, "Oh, here we go. Here comes Phil and his wife, and they really love to start off their dinner with oysters and they prefer the Chardonnays on oaks, Like. Can talk about how far that level of attention to detail goes when you're there to say, you know, we're coming here and we're loyal to you now, or hey, money isn't an issue while we're here within reason, right? Yeah. We're here for the experience and we're here and it really the word experience, we always argue about this with clients, is it it's a memory, right? It's an emotional yeah. memory. So yeah. That experience, when they start doing the, the small little touches of hospitality like that, I think are just invaluable in terms of the ROI and the ROE, return on effort, right?
0: Yeah. And I, you know, I'm now I'm, I'm an ambassador for the brand yeah. when, I, when I go out, you know, and it, that, that's worth its weight in gold. And I would talk about that experience, even though it's a tiny little thing to anybody who ever wanted to hear it, but I don't have to. Now they can just listen to it on the podcast. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, great. Well, I mean, let's talk about stories. Have you got <sighs> any funny stories from your career that you can share with Well uh, I'm, I'm with everyone working that's on listening?
1: Did did I send you a list of my 165 No you
0: didn't send you said you, you were going to send me the list ah, but you didn't My
1: but, ap- my apologies that's yeah fine. so One of the things that I've been hoping to do in all these travels as I wander around and, you know, especially being in a resort spaces where you do have some good downtime or when you're living in an airport with six six canceled flights is (laughs) I've been trying to work on a number of books. So I have one book. It's kind of like my Anthony Bourdain 2.0 Kitchen Confidential, where it's just about my chronological experiences going from starting as a dishwasher and moving all the way up to the consulting and coaching agency we have now. Then I've got one that's a collection of all the stories that when you get together with doormen and chefs and servers and hostesses and managers, when you get together for beers on a Sunday afternoon or whatever. And to this day, sometimes I don't know which stories are mine and which stories are other people's. So it's just a collection of stories. And then oh, one thing I didn't tell you, I don't know if you've read that in my bio, but I took a break from hospitality in terms of working a day-to-day job. And I took a humanitarian tour that ended up being four years of me living on the road with nothing but a backpack and doing nothing but humanitarian work. All, you know, zigzagged across North America multiple times over the course of four years. Um, so I have a book that I'm working on about that. So I've got some stories. <laughs> like um, and then I'm, I'm learning nowadays too that you have to block out names, but once again, having worked with all of those entertainers, <laughs> having worked with a number of um, individuals who are now celebrity chefs, having um, served and been a part of the after hours parties, you know, with all these a-list celebrities and glitterati we call them. yeah, I, yeah I, I'm trying to understand. So it's crazy stories is I think I'm probably one of the only people that uh, has been attempted to have been run over three times. <laughs> so in, in the same uh, moment? No, no. In okay. over the course of my over the case of my career. So <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> three three times in my career I've been running a club or managing a venue and someone's tried to drive their car through our front doors. <laughs> right. So Jeez. three times in my life I've not decided place you, at, <laughs> it, you know what people are just crazy out there. Like I mean everything yeah. from an Irish pub to a sports bar to a nightclub. And all those three different environments, like, so it wasn't just the crazy nightclub, you know, seedy dive bar kind of joints. It was every scenario where people would just use their car as a weapon when they were angry. So three times in my life, I've had to look to the guy next to me or the staff and go, hey, duck. Right. And then there comes a car through the front door
0: yeah well from the second and third time you kind of now know what to do right you can see it coming
1: yeah unfortunately it's reflexive so uh, i I don't know too many people that can state you know state that i had some amazing stories of after hours parties with mostly hockey players from my time in vancouver time in calgary i think that i've drank out of the gray cup the stanley cup um (laughs) so so if there and and then there's an award out there whatever industry whatever sports Um, league you're talking about i've held the trophies right right i've been there for the press conferences when i shouldn't have been almost like a hunter s thompson sneaking in the back door kind of thing um (laughs) because you know there's a funny story is we always used to say my brother and i if you have clean pressed pleated whites on your chef whites and a clipboard you can walk in anywhere (laughs) you know it's a good point yeah you can just walk into any place and especially if you got that angry look on your face like you got to get shit done right and then people are like oh here comes the chef he's a crazy person right yeah um so so we we've i've accessed a lot of vents over the over the years by sneaking in wearing my chef whites and a clipboard working with hospitality people the craziest of the craziest of people out there and just no rules you know so i remember we used to do this thing in Vancouver called the bartender's night out where every shift we would all put money into a kitty. God,
0: I'm already Roger, scared.
1: Yeah. And then Roger would match it. So we would, and you couldn't get away. So if you had a shift and you only made $10, you put that $10 in the jar, right? So we had a minimum of day shifts and a minimum of night shifts. And then every three months we'd get together and go, Oh shit, we got $3,000. And then Roger would match it with $3,000. Wow. And then I would go and phone all of our liquor reps and say, Hey, all of us are going out for a night on the town. And they would set us up at, oh, we got you tickets to this and we got you backstage or go to this place for appetizers. Then, of course, being in the industry. We've got the police
0: on standby.
1: Well, we knew the police. So that was actually (laughs) – it's funny you say that. We've had a few rides. I've had a few rides home in the back of a car. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, we knew them, right? But uh, so we would go out and we would do these – Bartenders and, and of course, the hospitality. There's a real sense of respira- reciprocity within the business, within the industry. So, we would go to a restaurant and we would say, "Give us ten rounds of oysters, and we want shots," and then we're moving on to the next place. And it would all be off the cuff. It would all be gratis because those guys were all customers of ours at our place. We yeah. always look after. Them. So there was always this sense of reciprocity. So we had all this money. That we couldn't spend, other than like you know, you can only give the oyster shucker six or seven hundred dollars before it becomes ridiculous, right? As far <laughs> as the tip. Um, which we did. We would drop five hundred dollars on a server. We would drop a thousand dollars on a team of bartenders because we had the money, and it was and that was also part of the gig was get out there and give back for all these people that support you at your place. But we yeah. would do crazy stuff. We're like, hey, we've got uh, six thousand dollars. Let's go to the racetrack. And then I thought we were going to the racetrack to gamble. We bought a horse. What? <laughs> so one of the guys on our team, our our crew, our crew goes like, Travis, give me the money, and I'm like, okay. He knows about horses, he knows about gambling, and whatever. And I thought he was going to go lay bets for all of us and come back and go, here are your tickets. He came back with a certificate and goes, so I bought a racehorse for us. <laughs> right? My and, yeah. God. And so that was one story. And then other times when we had just too much money and we kind of potentially overstayed our welcome at a lot of the restaurants in town, we would just go to the airport and just like literally with a toothbrush in hand. And just walk up to the desk and go, what's the next plane that's flying out? Doesn't matter if it's going to the smallest little town an hour away or whether we're getting on a plane and ending up uh, in Vegas or whatever. Like, so we would do these bartenders dinners and it was just three days of craziness over the course of five years. Like so many stories there. but
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I, uh, my time on cruise ships always taught me that if bartenders are going out together, be afraid. Be very, oh, well, but also tag along <laughs> because the they know where to go. They know, they know what to order.
1: So there's two sides of that. So going out, when you're going out with the bartenders, yeah, follow in the shadows, right, and see what's happening and be close to the debauchery, and you'll get, to, you know, you'll get to have the same experience without all the liability. But then going yeah. out, if you if you see the kitchen crew going out <laughs> together, you definitely go along with them because it's just an experience onto itself. But they you know they're walking in through back alleys and behind dumpsters and to doors and coming into the restaurant from the back end. And you want to talk about kitchen parties? People always talk about home kitchen parties. Go to a restaurant kitchen party right after things yeah. are closed and there's twenty five chefs in the back there drinking from a box of wine there's some pretty good stories there and then all of a sudden everyone gets drunk and then everybody wants to cook something yeah. there's some crazy there's some good experiences so
0: everything that ever happens that's interesting for a chef that's not work related happens after 1 a.m i i have learned that from talking to many a chef that, uh, either um, that's 1 a.m or on happens. monday nights
1: <laughs> right <laughs> when, every, when everyone's off on mondays that's when all the action happens so yeah
0: absolutely great stuff well look uh, that's gave us a fair few there and I don't definitely don't want to take all of your material for your book and look forward to that whenever that uh, materializes
1: hopefully within the next year. Yeah. Hopefully.
0: Great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, keep us posted and um, you're not a friend of the show, whether you like it or not. Um, So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but uh, yeah, what's, uh, what's the next year got in store for, for you guys? What are you up to?
1: Well, so I'm still continuing to travel. So from here, I'm looking at Portugal. I'm looking at Costa Rica Um, And then when it comes ski season, which is usually after American Thanksgiving, I'll be on the road um, with all of our resort clients from coast to coast. So there's a fair bit of travel on the um, horizon. We are launching a new uh, online coaching platform. So in addition to the work we do with resorts, um, the work we do mostly with executives and so forth, is that we're going to be opening up a platform for coaching for food entrepreneurs. So, right. you know, mo- most, unfortunately, there's so many young aspirational kind of entrepreneurs get out there and they don't have a mentor. They don't have someone to, to guide them through the processes or to ask the tough questions or to share insights. And they usually, as part of their business plan, they don't have the funding. They can't afford a consultant. They can't afford someone to do a business plan review. So we're going to be launching a platform specific to that audience where they can just mm-hmm. buy, buy advice and buy um, coaching in like, Literally in 20 minute increments, right? So they'll say, Hey, give us your business plan and we'll walk through it for 20 minutes with you and give you some you know, high level stuff. So we just are trying to make ourselves more accessible. And to us, that's also a little bit of a way of giving back um, and helping some of these entrepreneurs avoid some of the pitfalls. So that's coming up. Hopefully, next month we launch that. And that's it right now. Like, like I said, we've got these four or five new services we've got, we've got the coaching and then hopefully we're busy this year as we rebound from, you know, from the COVID pause, we'll call it.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you're, uh, you're clearly like to keep yourself busy. You've, uh, you've yeah. always got a lot on, which is great. And I massively appreciate you making time to, to talk to us today. I think you've got a fabulous story. It's always great for me. We're uh, predominantly a UK based, uh, hospitality, Podcast. um I think about eighty percent of our listeners come from the UK. But well, still, I, uh... I'm,
1: I'm I'm game to traveling to the UK.
0: Yeah, yeah, my, yeah. Well, you pass- come to Portugal. Pa- you're nearly here.
1: Yeah, my passport's good. I'm ready to go.
0: <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I think the the great thing for me is is that you know it, the hospitality is a global industry. So yes. you know your experience is definitely of interest to many many people in many parts of the world there's no question about that so uh massive thanks to you for for coming on and sharing your story
1: yeah i definitely appreciate you making time for me and having me on and affording me the opportunity this has been great
0: fantastic good man thanks so much travis all
1: right all right phil take care
0: take care and glad you got your teeth sorted
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh i got some stories about that this is my 10th set of teeth we'll share that i'll share that with you Uh, another time (laughs) we'll
0: do that another time yeah nice one take care take care cheers bye And there we have it. I can't tell you how happy I am that the podcast has led me to having chats with people like Travis. He's such a positive force for hospitality and I hope you took some great fun and insights away with you. I'll be back again next week with more stories from hospitality but until then, thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week.